The church is made up of people like you and me and all of them. The church offers a ton of benefits. When we love each other, we each feel like a part of the family. When we encourage each other, we each gain confidence. When we accept each other, we feel like we belong. When we care for each other, we each feel supported. We're all a vital piece in making the church what it was meant to be. When these are lived out well, the church is a community with amazing perks. Well, hey, what is up, Northridge Church? It is really good to be with you guys today. If you don't know me, my name is Mark, and I'm one of the pastors here at Northridge. And man, we're excited that we are every day inching closer to being back together for live services. But in the meantime, we're really thankful that we get to hang out like this together on weekends. So thanks so much for joining us today. You know, years ago, our family, we owned a minivan like a lot of families do, and this particular van had a recall. We had to bring it into the shop. The problem is that, man, this was one of hundreds of thousands of similar vehicles that needed this exact same part. And so we were going to be without this van for months, but thanks to the good people of the Ford Motor Company, they rented us a vehicle for the entire time, and I had several options to choose from, and one of them was a sporty silver Jeep. And I thought, wow, you know, that'd be kind of fun to drive for a while. I've never owned a Jeep like that. And so I picked it. And it didn't take me long before I realized as I was driving this Jeep down the road that every time another Jeep would pass me on the other side of the road, that it seemed like every time the, the person in that other Jeep would give me a little courtesy wave and a, and a little nod. Now, not just any Jeep, like not a Jeep brand vehicle necessarily, but a real Jeep-looking Jeep, like the round headlights in the iconic Jeep grill. Every time a vehicle like that would pass me, without fail, like religiously, this would happen. At first, I thought it was a little strange. Like, okay, apparently there's something going on here with Jeep owners. It didn't take me long to realize that apparently there's like this secret club for Jeep owners. It's like a secret code that this is what we do when we, when we pass a fellow Jeep owner. Like we acknowledge that that's my people right there. And, and we kind of have this little bond. And so, you know what I said? I'll, I'll play along with that. I'll start doing that when I pass other Jeeps. And can I tell you a secret? I liked it. Like, I really started liking it. I, like, looked forward to this sort of little bond that I had as sort of a new Jeep guy. Like, this is, this is kind of cool. And the problem, of course, was that I wasn't really a Jeep guy, right? I wasn't really an owner of a Jeep. And soon enough, it was back to the Ford Windstar. And can I just tell you that there's no club for Ford Windstars, I'll tell you that right now. But don't we resonate with that kind of a thing? Like, doesn't that make sense to us? Like, we love feeling like we're a part of something unique, something special. We love feeling like we belong, like we're included in something, even if it's something trivial, like a Jeep club. Maybe it's a hobby club, a book club, a, I don't know, a running club or a chess club. Or maybe it's, you know, all about wearing the same uniform on a sports team. Or maybe as a department at work or a part of a military unit. It could be being a part of a union or a neighborhood association. It could be just about anything. But we just love that feeling of being a little bit special, feeling like we belong. And wouldn't it be great today if there was this club, this community of people that would be fully accepting of you, while at the same time would help you become all that God wants you to be? Wouldn't you want to be a part of a club like that? Well, I've got good news for you. Such a club exists. 
We at Northridge Church believe that the church of Jesus Christ is meant to be such a place. In fact, last week, if you were with us, Nate, Nate encouraged us. He said that the church should be a place that you experience encouragement like nowhere else on earth. But unfortunately, that's not always the case. Unfortunately, that's not what a lot of people experience today at church. In fact, according to some recent statistics by the Barna Group, 50% of 18 to 35-year-old Christians say that people at church are judgmental. Now, that's half of Christians that say that, let alone those outside the church. And just 14% say that they attend because someone in their worship community cares deeply about them. Not exactly the place of belonging that we all crave to be. And so that's why here at Northridge, man, we love it. We love it when people walk onto one of our campuses or when they jump onto the live stream like this on weekends. And then later they express how warmly they felt received. Man, we love hearing that and it happens all the time. But the truth of the matter is we always have a lot of room to improve in this area. We've got some work to do. And so that brings us to Today's church perk, and it's found in Romans chapter 14, verse 13. And if you have a Bible there available to you, I'd love for you to go there to Romans chapter 14 with us. But in this passage, Paul has just finished talking about how we're all ultimately accountable to God. And then he says in verse 13, Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Or quite simply, we could say, don't judge each other. Don't judge each other. Now, if you're a movie buff, you might know about uh, the idea of how well a movie holds up. Uh, you know, maybe a movie buff will talk about, man, that movie from 20 years ago, man, that really seems to hold up. Like the comedy still seems to work. The topics are still relevant. The special effects, they still seem kind of cool. Well, I think today that if there's a passage in ancient scripture that really seems to hold up for our current cultural moment, it might just have to be this one. Because we've learned that, that social distancing, it's actually a, a lot more than just geographical. It's ideological. And judging in our culture abounds, even among Christians. And so maybe we need this church perk more than we ever have before. On the surface, it seems like this command from Paul is very in tune with the attitude of our day, the sort of live and let attitude, live and let live attitude of our day, the who are you to judge me attitude. Like, I have no right to judge you, and you certainly have no right to judge me. And even any mere suggestion that someone might want to rethink something about their life is often thought to be hateful, bigoted, narrow-minded, intolerant. But to truly understand what's being said in these words from Paul, I think we need to understand this verse within its larger context. You see, in short, there were some, there were some disagreements happening among the believers there in the city of Rome, and Paul mentions two of them specifically. He said there were some disagreements that were happening among whether or not certain days of the week were sacred. And then there was another disagreement happening about whether or not Christians should enjoy meat that had previously been offered uh, on altars to pagan deities. And you see, at this time, there were Christians that, that were bothered by the fact that this meat had been offered you know, in false worship to idols. It bothered their consciences. The association that it had, they just couldn't bring themselves to enjoying this meat. Well, at the same time, there were other Christians that were like, what? Ain't no thing but a chicken wing. You know, like, ain't no thing but a T-bone, right? It's just meat. And the fact that it's, you know, been used previously in, in false worship, that doesn't change the essence of the meat itself. 
It's still good meat. And hey, if it's on sale, cha-ching, baby, right? It's even more enjoyable. <laughs> and so Paul, he's going to share some perspective and speak into this divisiveness. And I think in the process, he's going to unearth some principles for us to live by today. And so I want to take you to verse 1 of this chapter because I think we find the most important word in the entire chapter, the very first word of the chapter. It's the word accept. Verse, four, uh, verse 1 in chapter 14, accept. That word is huge. Because really this passage isn't a passage on judging per se, but on our inability to, ju- to, our inability to accept one another as we ought to. And our judging or our poor judging of others really is a symptom of our inability to accept one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul continues in verse 1, accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. Now, if we're going to make sense of this passage, it's really important that we understand that Paul here is talking about disputable matters, things that two God-loving people can rightfully see differently. He's not talking about indisputable matters or what we might call absolutes. No, he's talking about areas of behavior where the Bible isn't crystal clear on what a believer should do or what a believer shouldn't do and where there's room for individual freedom. What are some examples of this? Well, drunkenness, for example, is indisputably wrong. We shouldn't get drunk. But social drinking in a responsible way, well, that's a disputable matter. It's clearly wrong for a believer to marry an unbeliever, but should a believer attend the wedding of a believer and an unbeliever? Well, that's a disputable matter. To obey governing authorities is clearly what God asks us to do, but should I engage in a lawful, peaceful protest? Well, that's a disputable matter. That all my communication ought to be uplifting and beneficial, that's indisputable, but should I engage with certain topics on social media? Well, that's Disputable, And Paul's going to help us understand in verse 2 that how one person's conscience responds in these matters of preference, these disputable matters, it's not the same as how another Christian's conscience responds. Verse 2, one person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. Not that they were vegetarians necessarily, but when this food, this meat that had been previously offered to idols was brought out at the party, Uh, the response of these Christians was basically, I think I'll stick with the salad, right? In verse 3, Paul's going to give us some directives that really help inform how we should treat one another. Verse 3, the one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. For, and here's the real kicker, for God has accepted them. And that is the real issue. There it is, the real issue of this passage. The reality that should frame all of our interactions with one another is this understanding that we've been fully accepted by Jesus Christ, fully accepted by God in Christ. And so since we've been accepted by God fully, who are we not to fully accept our brothers and sisters? And so with that context in mind, we come to our key verse, verse 13, where our one another command is found. And this time I want to read the verse in full. Romans 14, 13, therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. And I think if we break this verse down, we're going to discover three highly important principles for our lives today. Principle number one, and this one might surprise you, judging is essentially a good thing. Wait, what now? 
Judging is a good thing. Like, I see that Paul says not to do it. How does that make it a good thing? Well, I agree Paul says we shouldn't judge, but then he says we should. Let me explain what I mean. You might find it interesting to note that when, uh, when we read the words in the second half of the verse, make up your mind not to put a stumbling block in the way of a brother or a sister, that phrase, make up your mind, is actually a translation of the same Greek word, klino, that Paul uses in the first half of the verse that we translate to pass judgment. The word literally means to pass judgment. So essentially, Paul's saying in this verse, stop passing judgment on one another and instead pass judgment. <laughs> Whoa, that's confusing. Like, how do we make sense of that? Well, I think this might help. What Paul's really urging us to do when he says stop passing judgment is this. He's not, he's not saying that we should never pass judgment or use judgment ever because that would be impossible. But he is saying to be careful to not be a person who carries around in them a judgmental spirit, a judgmental attitude toward others over issues of preference, over disputable matters. I think a summary that would be fitting is this. Don't be judgmental, but do use good judgment. It's a fair summary. Because when it comes to these areas of preference, we're told that we're going to have a lot of judgment calls that we're going to need to make. We're going to have to learn how to navigate this stuff skillfully in terms of our interactions with other Christ followers, we're going to have to have discernment to, first of all, know what is disputable and what's indisputable, and the wisdom to know how to treat one another over all the disputable stuff. We're going to have to learn how to consider not only our own personal preferences, but also what other brothers and sisters in Christ most need. If we're going to get this issue of judging right, we first have to believe that there's a God-honoring way to do it well. That it's possible, even necessary, to use good judgment without being judgmental. Principle number two, matters of preference are no judgment zones, out of bounds. When Paul writes in the first half of this verse, let us stop passing judgment on one another, what he's saying in this context is that disputable matters should be out of bounds when it comes to judging what another Christian should or shouldn't do. And do we do this? Do we struggle here? Do we struggle to not judge other believers over matters of preference? Uh, yeah, we do this all the time. It's like we can't help ourselves. We judge in big things and in little things alike. We're like natural born judges. And I'll judge you for the kind of car you drive and what you choose to do with your recyclables. I'll judge you for that fashion statement you're attempting to make there that I don't much care for or the style of music you enjoy. I'll judge you for whether or not you have children, how many children you have, how you choose to educate your children, what causes you support, and which causes you don't really seem to care about. I'll judge you for what you post on social media, and if that's not good enough, I'll judge you for what you don't post. And speaking of social media, why do you post so much? Don't you have anything better to do with your time? And so many selfies, I mean, you, you must be a selfish person. And why didn't you like my post? And, and why did you like that particular post? And on and on and on it goes and where it stops, nobody knows. But when Paul writes, don't pass judgment on one another, he's saying that we as followers of Jesus need to decide beforehand that all of these matters of personal preference, these disputable matters, they're off limits. They're out of bounds. And the moment you feel yourself beginning to go down that path, pull it back. It's not worth it. Because... Principle number three, people are more important than issues. Paul writes in the second half of this verse, instead, make up your mind or use good judgment 
not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. And I think we get some additional clues in this passage about where we should place the priority. Verse 15, if your brother or sister is distressed by what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. So the important thing here is the value of the other person. It's not your personal preference or even your personal conviction. Verse 20, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. Well, duh. Obviously, one is way more important than the other, right? Like what God is doing in someone's life is obviously way more important than a cheeseburger. Like we see the value difference there. They're not equal. One's more important. But we lose perspective in the heat of the moment, don't we? I know my wife Gretchen and I, we can testify to this personally when maybe we're out enjoying an evening out and we're trying to select maybe something as almost simple and trivial as a, a restaurant and we can have a difference maybe of opinion and we can find that in that moment we actually end up devaluing one another, not placing at the highest priority what God is doing in that person's life for the sake of something really not important at all. Not, not important at all, like the sake of food, much like what we're talking about in this passage. And attitudes can go right in the dumpster and an entire night can be derailed because we valued the wrong thing. And I think we can tend to see this much more easily with those that we're closest to, our spouses, our family members, our close friends. But I think we struggle to see this. We easily miss this with those that we don't know well. But what if we valued every person, every relationship with every person as far higher than any singular issue? Would that not radically change our interactions? Would the body of Christ not make a radical difference in our divisive culture? Well, what's the result of living out these three principles? I think it's today's highly important church perk. It's this, that you and I would finally discover a place, a community, a club, where we won't feel judged, but we will receive wisdom. A place where you won't feel judged, but you will receive wisdom. You'll feel fully accepted, and you'll get the guidance that you know your life needs. And isn't that the place that we all want to live in? I mean, we want to be utterly accepted and still get the wisdom we need for life. We want to be utterly accepting of others and yet still have the opportunity to speak wisdom into the ones that we love. And I think that this is why the church this gathering of believers offers such an incredible and unique perk, such a benefit. Because you could say it this way, the church meets at the corner of two roads, Acceptance Street and Guidance Avenue. It's the uncommon intersection between complete acceptance and helpful guidance. And what a great place that is to be, but what a difficult place that is to find. You won't find it on a Google map. What a hard place it is to find and maybe even a harder place to stay. But how do we live at this intersection? How do we use good judgment while not being judgmental? How do we give and receive guidance without that feeling condemning? As we thought about earlier, the church hasn't always done this incredibly well. So how do we get better? Well, I think these four commitments will really help us. Four commitments that I think we each need to make to one another. The first is this, that I'll resist writing stories. I'll resist writing stories. You know, our minds can just run rampant 
with assumptions about what the other person thought, what they meant, what they might have meant, what they probably did, why it's taking them so long to text back, all of these things, and we can begin to fill in the gap with an elaborate story that we actually finalize and send off to the publisher before we even know whether any of it's based on reality. But when it comes to making good judgments, man, assumptions are not our friends. And you and I, we need to begin fact-checking those stories that we start writing in our mind, how much of that is based on fact, things that we know to be true, and how much of it is based on fiction, a story that we've written or embellished. My commitment to you as a Jesus follower is that until and unless I have a face-to-face conversation with you, I'll choose to believe the best. You know, I haven't always done that well. And whenever I've gotten that wrong, it's not been pretty. And I'm guessing your experience is very similar to mine. But can we make that commitment to one another that we will resist writing stories and believe the best? Commitment number two is this. I'll refuse to let a judgmental spirit rob me. You know, I think that we think that by judging other people, we win and the other person loses. But nothing could be further from the truth. Nobody loses more than the judgmental person. Because I think the way this works is, you know, the judgmental person, they they tend to fixate on that thing that they don't like and they miss so much more in the process. I know this all too well from personal experience. I tend to be a very analytical person, which can be a helpful thing, but it can also, if I'm not not careful, it can also uh, lend me to have a, a very critical spirit. And so, for example, I might be sitting in, in church on a Sunday morning listening to a speaker, and I can easily latch onto a statement that I question or maybe disagree with, and man, my mind can just wander off, and I can have this internal conversation and completely miss maybe the very point that God wanted me to hear. I mean, what that speaker said in the next five minutes, it might have been pure gold, but I missed it. I was robbed of that, that value because I just couldn't let go of the thing that bugged me. I allowed a judgmental attitude to rob me. Maybe that's already happened in this sermon today. I hope not, but it could have. But we find this in other areas of life as well, don't we? We find this happening maybe when we're interacting with another person and we notice something about them that we might not enjoy, might not prefer. Maybe it's, I don't know, the way they're dressed or the way they pronounce a certain word or a phrase that they use. And again, our mind just goes off and maybe begins to believe things about them in that moment, whether true or not, and we miss the value of that interaction. And in that way, a judgmental attitude has robbed us. It's healthy to use good judgment, but don't allow a judgmental attitude about a personal preference to rob you of what's even more important. And speaking of what's more important, commitment number three, I'll judge ideas and behaviors, not people. This is so important. When Paul writes, don't judge each other, he's saying that in the midst of exercising good judgment, we should avoid making it personal. And our judgments, they often feel like personal attacks because, well, we personally attack. But what if instead of jumping to conclusions and labeling others, what if we dropped the rhetoric of you always and you never and you people And what if we held to an unwavering belief that a person's value is not determined by what they say, think, or do, but instead by the image of God stamped on them and the love that God has for them? You see, it's only then that we'll be able to disagree gracefully 
that we'll actually be able to speak the truth in love, as Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 4. We'll be able to promote helpful ideas while at the same time promoting the worth of every individual. That's so important. And then one more commitment that we need to make to each other. And this is kind of the inverse of the last one. It says this, I'll allow people to speak into my life without taking offense. I'll allow people to speak into my ideas and my behaviors without it necessarily feeling like an indictment. Far from being a bad thing, do you, did you know that judging is actually one of the ways that you and I serve one another as brothers and sisters in Christ? Have you ever thought about it that way? Paul tells us about that in 1 Corinthians 5 when he writes this, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. So there's this responsibility that you and I have toward one another to speak truth, not in a judgmental or condescending way, but in a way that values the good of the other person and in a way that calls them up to be all that God created them to be. That's why we have such helpful next steps, I think, here at Northridge Church that we want to encourage you to, to make sure you're you know, being proactive and taking. And man, some of those are available to you today. We'd encourage you to check out our summer equip classes where you can receive wisdom for your life. We'd encourage you to express interest in that today. Or our community groups where you can sit around a circle with other followers of Jesus who seek to sharpen you while you seek to sharpen them. Or our membership process here at Northridge Church where you can place yourself in a position to receive wisdom and accountability from those that love you, know you, and desire God's best for your life. You know, our problem when it comes to judging is that we judge the wrong people the wrong way and with the wrong spirit. But if you're a follower of Jesus today, then I want you to know that this church perk, it's for you. That you have finally found a place and I have finally found a place here at Northridge Church where you won't feel judged, but you will receive wisdom. And because of God's complete acceptance of us, we have the ability to completely accept others and let go of trivial judgments. Let's pray. Lord God, we desperately need your help in this area. We get this wrong so much of the time. And God, we want to reflect your character when it comes to judging because we know you judge perfectly. And you pour out your grace in an incredible way to people that do not deserve it. God, you do not treat us as our sins deserve. And so God, I pray that we would reflect more and more of your spirit. Lord, thank you for the challenge that your word is to our hearts today. And we pray that we'll go forward from here with the desire to live this out, to honor and glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey guys, it's been really great to have you with us here at Northridge Church today. And we've thought about a very difficult and weighty topic of judging but we've really considered the idea that this isn't truly about judging as much as it is really about acceptance. And the understanding that forms the basis for all of this is God's complete acceptance of us in Christ. And maybe as you've been with us today, you've realized, you know what, I don't even know what that really means. I don't know that I've ever experienced God's acceptance. And we would love to tell you more about what that means we would have no greater honor today than to share with you how you can be fully accepted before God through Jesus Christ as you 
Trust him as the leader of your life and the forgiver of your sins. If you're interested in knowing more, you can go ahead and text the word trust to the number on the screen and there'll be an individual there that will be just glad to help you with that. If you are a follower of Jesus, then man, you know um, how hard this is. And the truth of the matter is we blow this on the regular. We blow this all the time. But we're not accepted by God because we get this right all the time. But when we fail, we can count on the abundant grace of God to cover that sin. And because we know the grace of God, we can extend forgiveness to others when they misjudge us. It's incredible. And so let's go forward from this place, living that out this week. We hope you'll join us back here next week for part four of Church Perks. In the meantime, have a great week and take care.